Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA Church Online. My name is Father Anthony, and I want to say welcome to all those who are joining us today, and especially those who are joining us for the first time. And if that's you, you could not have picked a better Sunday to join us than today, because today we're kicking off a brand new series called What Does Love Require? And I can't tell you how excited I am for this series and to prove to you that I am excited I want to start today by doing something that I don't normally do, and that is by making a public confession to you. That's right. Usually, the confessions go this direction, okay, but today is going to go this direction. Since we're talking about love, here's my confession. Even though I'm a priest, and even though I know all the verses about love and have given Bible studies on love and read books about love and know everything there's know about love, that even I, yes, even I, struggle to love certain people. I know, hard to believe. But the truth is that just like you, there are certain people out there that are difficult for me, I find difficult to love. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, I wonder who those people are. Like, I wonder what kind of people would make a great man like Father Anthony be hard for him to love them. Well, I'll answer that for you. You may be thinking to yourself, well, I bet you it's, uh, people, like he's a priest, okay, a man of God, so it's probably people who are like bad people that he struggles to love, you know, like people who lie or cheat or steal or, you know, knock old lip women down on the road or something like that. And I'd say, nope, it's not hard for me to, to love bad people. In fact, to be honest, okay, they're easy for me to love because I, I actually feel bad for them because I feel like they're actually hurting themselves. Anyone who breaks God's commandments is only hurting themselves more than anything else, so that's not who I struggle to love. Say, okay, maybe it's people who uh, criticize him or criticize the church or complain. You know, the people who come to the, the priest after the service and are, you know, are, uh, others are saying, like some people are saying, you know, I just want you to know what other people are saying. Uh, and I want to say to them, newsflash, we know who the other people are. Like I know who is some of the people are saying, but anyway, no, those aren't the people that I struggle to love. In fact, in a weird kind of a way, when people criticize me or complain, like it actually, it kind of motivates me in a, in a weird kind of a way because I feel like, well, they criticize Jesus. So, you know, I feel like I'm in good company there. So nope, that's not who I struggle to love. And you say, ah, I know who he struggles to love. It's the people who fall asleep in the sermons. Those are the people that's, that's hard for him to love. And I would say, no, that's not who it is either. And um, of course, with that said, you know, I can't say I would be horribly disappointed if the people who sleep during the sermons where I prepare, spend a lot of time preparing, I wouldn't be horribly disappointed if they drooled all over themselves or maybe fell over on the floor and kind of hit the ground. Not enough to injure them, but just enough to, you know, send a message. Okay, I wouldn't be disappointed. But no, that's not who I'm talking about. That's not who it's a struggle for me to love. So who is it then? The people that I struggle to love are people who hurt my children. And I don't think I'm alone there, right, parents? I remember a time when uh, my son, my oldest son, Michael, uh, was three years old and he went to preschool. And I still remember that, um, you know, when, when, when parents, y'all get this, is that when you send a child off to school for the first time, okay, but those first three years of his life, my wife had stayed home from work. So she, you know, was always taking care of him and then, you know, the grandparents. So he'd always been like under our care. And then all of a sudden you send him off to a school 
and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's kind of a nerve-wracking experience, okay? Because you're kind of sending your son off, like, you know, the, the, the heir to the royal throne. You know what I mean? Like, here's the firstborn son, and there he goes. You're kind of shipping him off there. And I remember, you know, one day we got the report from the teacher or the note home or whatever, and it says, you know, Joey pushed Michael in the playground or something like that. And, of course, Joey's not the real name. And this boy had pushed my son, you know? And, you know, of course, first thing we did is we asked, you know, Michael, is, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And we're best friends. And then we played this, whatever it may be. And it was like, no big deal to him. <laughs> but to us as parents, oh my, I mean, we, it was as if like a gang of thieves had robbed the boy at gunpoint, okay? And thrown him and left him for dead in the street. That's kind of how we reacted. And my wife, my sweet, sweet, angelic wife, okay? The sweetest person on the planet. Oh my goodness. Like I started to get worried about Joey's parents Okay, making it out of carpool line without like witness protection program or something like that. Like I started to get worried about th their safety. My wife wanted to call the teacher and call the principal and call the superintendent and the city council. And I even think she left a message for the governor at some point or something like that because somebody had hurt one of her kids. And I think if you're a parent, you would agree with me on the following sentence. There's no point trying to please me if you're hurting one of my kids. Right, parents? Like, it's not just me, right? There's no point in trying to please me if you're hurting one of my kids. So you can buy me gifts. You can sing me songs. You can praise my holy name. You can come in my house on Sundays and even leave a donation in the box at the front. Nothing can compensate for mistreating one of my children. But the reverse is also true. <clears throat> Another time, fast forward. One of my children, a little bit older at this point in time, was having a tough time in the first quarter at, at, at school and, you know, missed some assignments or, you know, acted out in class or whatever it may be, like normal stuff. And I remember we went in for the, uh, the parent-teacher conference at the end of the first quarter. And the first teacher we met with um, you know, pretty much was like, you know, your child needs to do this and they need to stop doing this. They need this. And she didn't really care to listen or ask if there's a reason or an explanation. She just, your child needs to stop this. Now, the second teacher was the exact opposite of that. The second teacher asked questions like, what's going on? Is everything okay? Anything I can help with? The second teacher tried to understand what was happening and taking place that caused these behaviors. And I remember we walked out of that second teacher conference. And I remember I took my wife and I looked deep in her eyes, deep in her eyes. And I said to her, I love that woman. And she said, yeah, you know, she's nice, whatever. And I was like, no, let me be clear. I love that woman. And of course, husbands, it's not something I recommend looking deep in your wife's eyes and telling her you love another woman. But you understand where I'm going with this thing. The point was, is this illustrates an important principle as we kick off this series about loving God, and that is this, okay? It's exemplified in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Jesus said, assuredly, inasmuch, I, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. In other words, that loving me, vertical relationship, is contingent upon loving one another, horizontal relationship. You know, there's something dangerous in the world today that I see is becoming like a trend. And that's what I call self-centered spirituality, where the focus is all about me. And self-centered spirituality doesn't sound so bad on the surface, 
But the further you go into it, the more dangerous it becomes. It basically asks this question. It says, what do I need to do to please God? What do I need to do to please God? And you think to yourself, Father Anthony, isn't that a good thing? Like, aren't we supposed to try to please God? Shouldn't people be asking that question? And I say to you, again, it sounds okay on the surface, but let's fast forward this out a little bit. The problem is the motivation here is me, is on keeping me in the good graces of God, on keeping God's blessings on me. So it's basically saying, like, how far can I go before God stops blessing me, before God stops protecting my kids, before God gets so annoyed at me that he smites me down? Like, if I go here, will God still bless me? Like, how far, how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? And you know this is you if you start to ask questions like, well, how do we know that's a sin? And why is that really a sin? And is there a verse that says that? And is that what that verse means? Those are all nice ways of saying how close, how close can I get to sin before God says I've had enough with this guy? And here's the problem with self-centered spirituality is that it always gravitates towards rules over people. It gravitates towards rules over people, and this is the opposite of everything Jesus taught. For example, self-centered spirituality. If you struggle and feel guilty missing church on a Sunday, but have no problem bad-mouthing a coworker on Monday, if you believe that doing good to one person or one group of people, your friends or your group or your whoever your people are, if you think that doing good by them can somehow negate doing bad by another group who's not your people, who don't look like you, or is not your family, if you think that doing good to this group will somehow cancel out doing bad to this group, if you love people who look like you, who talk like you, who vote like you, if you love those people, but somehow you justify hating people who are the exact opposite, who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who don't think like you, if you think loving them will cancel out hating them, that's self-centered spirituality all about me. If you, think, if you think it's okay to disrespect people online, okay, and yes, online is just somehow in our minds, if we disrespect someone to their face, it's bad, but online doesn't make a difference, okay? If you disrespect people and you think it's okay to disrespect people online because they have the, quote, wrong opinion, that's self-centered spirituality. It's okay to disrespect them because they're wrong and they believe the wrong thing. If you are willing to quote a church father in one sentence and then in the next sentence, curse a church brother or sister, that's self-centered spirituality. You have made Christianity all about yourself. It's all about rules versus people and that's the opposite of who Jesus was. And if you want to know who did and lived that way, that was the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees were good people who believed the right things and did the right things, but they justified their mistreatment of others because they were, again, quote, wrong. They had the wrong opinions. They had the wrong ethnicity. They had the wrong way of worship. They did the wrong rituals. And because they were wrong, it was okay to treat them as you wanted. It was okay to curse them. It was okay to disrespect them. It was okay to treat them as second-class citizens. Now, if you keep my rules and you think the way I think, and you do what I tell you to do, and you do it exactly, then you're good. But if not, you're of no value. 
And let's be honest. We all know people like that. And if we're honest, many of us, the reason we walked away from church at some point in time was people like this. People who look great on Sunday, but not so good on Monday. And they thought that, you know what, the Sunday goodness somehow negated the Monday badness. But here's the thing. As much as we justify mistreating people because, again, they're wrong or because they're bad or because they're different, do you know that Jesus, who was 100% right, the only one who can truly say that he was right in all circumstances, do you know Jesus didn't look at the world as good and bad, as right and wrong, as my people and those people. Jesus didn't look at that. Jesus looked and everywhere, no matter who they were, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their social class, no matter what their spiritual beliefs, Jesus looked at them all and said, you know what? What I see is sheep in need of a shepherd. I see sick in need of a physician. I see children in need of a father. And that's why Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus did stuff and said stuff the world had never heard of. You know, before Jesus, the world was divided into categories. Like there was no such thing as racism because you know what? Back then, everything was racism. Everything was, was your people and then other people. There was your ethnicity, then other ethnicities. There was your religion and then the others. Okay, so everything was divided. There was no such thing as like, why do you mistreat people of another class or another country, another ethnicity? That was what you did. The whole world was that way. And Jesus came and he erased it all. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not a matter of Jews are my kids and Gentiles are not. Even Gentiles, all are my children. Jesus said, it's not a matter of slaves versus masters. All are my children. Jesus said, it's not a matter of men versus women. All are my children. Jesus said it's not a matter of children versus adults. All are my children. And if you mistreat any of them, you got a serious problem with my Father in heaven because they're his children more than anything else. Let me give you some verses from the Bible. John chapter 15, verse 12 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. Basically, what Jesus is saying right here is this. He's like, look, Moses gave you lots of commandments. In the Old Testament, you had like 600 commandments, but even Moses, he gave you those 10. That's not me. I got one. Just one. Moses gave you 10. I got one. And the one commandment is, you should love one another as I have loved you. That's it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Let me, let me customize that. He says, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that avails anything, but faith working through love. So let me say it this way. It's not a matter of circumcision or uncircumcision. It's faith through love. It's not a matter of you're on the left or you're on the right. It's faith working through love. It's not a matter of you're conservative, you're liberal. It's faith working through love. It's not a matter of you're right or you're wrong. It's faith working through love. It's not a matter of you speak English or Arabic or Greek or Amharic. Not a matter of any of those things. None of that stuff avails anything. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care how you vote. I don't care what side you're on. It's one thing. It's faith working through love. Next verse, Galatians 5.14. Look how he says it here. He says, all the law is fulfilled in one word. All the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look here, what Jesus is saying, or sorry, what St. Paul is saying. 
He's like, look, in the Old Testament, I know it's big and it's thick and there's lots of laws and there's history and there's thou's and thines and it's hard. So let me just kind of, here's cliff notes. Let me fast forward it for you because there's no audible on 1.5 speed. So let me just give it for you right here. All the law is fulfilled in one word. All the law in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's all those commandments and they're great. But if you want to boil it down, if you want a shortcut, if you want to just stick like a summary, a note in your pocket, all the law comes down to one word. It is love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this next passage from Romans 13. It says it even more clear. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. He says all the commandments, adultery, lying, stealing, it all boils down to one thing, love. Now, this passage answers a question that I struggled with, especially early in my priesthood, maybe you have as well. Have you ever wondered why certain things are wrong? Like, let me give you an example. Let's say lying. Lying, we all know lying is wrong. But if I were to ask you why is lying wrong? Like, let's say a lie, a white lie that doesn't harm anyone. You know, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? You know, like I remember when I was early in my priesthood, a little kid would come to me, you know, four or five, six years old or something like that. I would say, you know, I lied and I told my mom it was a red balloon, but it was actually a blue balloon or something. And you're like, who cares? You know, like, why is that wrong? Why is lying wrong? And let me tell you what the answer is not. The answer is not because the Bible says it's wrong. Like the Bible does say it's wrong, but why does the Bible say it's wrong? And the answer is not lying is wrong because it upsets God. Again, that's self-centered spirituality where it's like, if you lie, you're going to get in trouble with God. Well, my question is, no, deeper. Why is lying wrong? If you ask Jesus, Jesus, why is it wrong to lie? You know what he'd say? He wouldn't say because it upsets God or disrespects God. He would say because lying hurts your neighbor. And lying covers your own self at their expense. And lying says to that person, you are not worthy of the truth. And it treats them as a lower person. So think about it this way. Think of the difference between we should tell the truth so that God loves me. Okay, that's one way. We should tell the truth so God loves me. Or we should tell the truth because we love our neighbor. And we respect our neighbor. And our neighbor is worthy of the truth. And that applies to all the commandments. Why is it wrong to gossip? Why is it wrong to badmouth someone? Why is it wrong to start rumors? They may never find out. Why is it wrong to start rumors? Why is it wrong to just say stuff about people behind their back? Well, you know what? Not because it hurts God, but because it breaks the law of love and because it harms your neighbor and because it treats them as less than you. It puts you above them and it says, I want to hurt that person, okay, to make myself feel better. Said another way, all the commandments, all the commandments are specific applications of one law, the law of of love. All the commandments. Why is it wrong to adultery? Why is it wrong to lie? Why is it wrong to steal? Why are any of these things wrong? It boils down to the law of love. And they are all simply applications of the one law, which is the law of love. We trip ourselves up with this idea that it's okay to treat certain people a certain way because they are, quote, wrong. And in our minds, well, if someone is wrong, then we have to tell them that they're wrong and that person is wrong and therefore, and they're ruining our church and they're ruining our country. And, 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 and you know, where in the Bible does it say that we, um, that we can't 
tell them that they're wrong? And where in the Bible does it say that we have to be nice to this person? Where in the Bible? And show me the verse. You know what I would respond to that? Let's say we ask Jesus. Jesus, where in the Bible does it say that I can't badmouth my neighbor? Where in the Bible does it say I can't post stuff about so-and-so online? Where in the Bible does it say that? You know what Jesus would say? you say, okay. Where in the Bible does it say that I have to love you? Where in the Bible does it say I have to forgive you? Where in the Bible does it say I have to answer your prayers? Where in the Bible does it say I have to forgive your sin? Where in the Bible does it say I have to heal your addiction? Where in the Bible? Tell me where in the Bible it says that I have to do that. And you know what? The answer is, it doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible says one thing, is that it all comes down to love. And because God loves us, he does all those things. And because we are commanded to love one another, that's why we don't do all those things. It all comes down to love. The context may change. The circumstances may change. The details around it may change. But the command to love does not change. And if your view of spirituality is self-centered, you will always find workarounds or loopholes in the system. I've told you this before. You tell me what you want to justify, and I will find you 10 Bible verses to support you. But if we're honest and we focus on the command to love, it's clear. Let me give you some more verses right here. And you, as we read these verses, help me, tell me, where's the loophole in these verses? Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Where's the loophole there? <clears throat> Where does it say, love your enemies? Well, unless your enemies are voting this way. Do good to those who hate you. Well, unless those who hate you actually have this ideology. Where does it say, bless those who curse you? Unless those who curse you are of a different ethnicity than you or a different uh, speak a different language or have this funny belief. Don't say any of that stuff. There's no loophole to love. There's no workaround. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I love how it says that. If anyone has a complaint against one another, think about it today when we have complaints about one another. We don't forgive each other. That's not our first reaction. It's we bash each other. We criticize each other. We go online to social media and we curse each other and we disrespect each other. And we tell the whole wide world about how that person is wrong and that person needs, to, everyone needs to know that person is wrong. But that's the opposite of the command of love. It's the opposite of what Jesus did for us. I'll give you another verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I know we got a lot of people out there, what I call world changers, people who believe that they can change the world and we need to change the world, and I am all for that. God bless you. That is a great thing. The world is in need of world changers today. Please be very careful with this. Jesus changed the world and commands us to change the world not through fighting, not through criticizing and complaining and cursing and posting and bashing and creating memes. That's not changing the world. Jesus changed the world by love and his kingdom. He ushered in his kingdom. It's a kingdom of love and a kingdom that will spread through love. And now it's our turn to do the same. And that's why our key thought for this series is this. I don't always know what to think. I don't always know what to believe, but I almost always know what love requires me to do. I don't always know what to think. I don't always know what to believe. These days, more than ever before, there are lots of people out there who are trying to convince me of their opinion and convince you of their opinion too. 
No, no, you need to vote on this side. No, you need to vote on this side. No, you need to believe in this conspiracy. No, it's that. You don't read that. Didn't you read that post? Don't you know that's the truth? Don't you dare believe that. And there's lots of people out there who are trying to convince us to believe something or think something. And I'll be honest, I don't always know what to think. I don't always know what to believe. I don't always know. But if I'm honest, and if you're honest, we almost always know what love requires us to do. And we can hide behind Bible verses. And we can find loopholes. And we can justify that we're fighting because we're right and they're wrong and they need to know they're wrong. And we can do all that stuff. But in the end, in the end, we will always be find ourselves ineffective because it's not fighting that is the ways of Jesus, but loving. And, and let, let's continue on that point for a little bit. Let me ask you this question. We justify being unkind because we are, quote, right, and they are, quote, wrong. But since when is being right an excuse for being unkind or being mean or being cursing or being disrespectful? Like, since when is it okay that, you know, you should love your enemy, you should be kind, unless they're wrong? And if they're wrong, no, all bets off. Just look no further. Look at Jesus on the cross. Let me ask you this question. You who, if it's right, it's right and wrong is wrong. Was Jesus on the cross? Was he right or wrong? Jesus on the cross. Was he right or wrong? Like Jesus was nailed on a cross and killed for a crime that he didn't commit. Accused falsely, a, a mockery of a trial. He was right. The people who were killing him were wrong. How did Jesus respond to them? By love. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's why I say this. The essence of following Jesus isn't about being right. It's about being love. Being a follower of Jesus isn't about always being right. It's about always being love. Look at this quote here from a 7th century church father named St. Maximus. He says, Whoever sees in himself the traces of hatred toward any man on account of any kind of sin is completely foreign to the love of God. For love, of, for love toward God does not at all tolerate hatred for man. Oh my goodness, what a good quote. Whoever sees in himself the traces of hatred toward any man on account of any sin is completely foreign to the love of God. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. There's no sin that negates the law of love. There's no mistake. There's no ideology. There's no they're on the wrong side that negates the law of love and that gives us some kind of justification to be mean and disrespectful and unkind to people. No, love toward God does not at all tolerate hatred for any man, regardless of their belief, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their social class, regardless of their gender, regardless of anything else. Love of God does not tolerate hatred toward any man. And in case you're sitting there thinking, okay, Father Anthony, sounds good on paper, sounds nice, let's just love each other, and, you know, kumbaya, and sing songs, and, you know, all that stuff. In case you think I'm just watering it down, and I'm just making it easy, well, I ask you this question, does the law of love water things down, or in fact, raise the bar? If you would ask Jesus, Jesus, what does love require of you? Like, that's the name of this series, what does love require? What did love require of Christ? Like fulfilling the commands and the laws required Jesus to live a sinless life? That's easy. What pushed Jesus to the point of sweating blood, what pushed him to the cross was love. And when Jesus died on a cross, buried 
in his own blood and buried in the saliva and spit of others. It wasn't to fulfill the commandments. It was to fulfill the law of love. Love isn't watering it down. Love is raising the bar. And, and if you aren't convinced of my words, look what Jesus says. We're going to read a passage now from Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus is speaking about the end, and the judgment day, when all will stand before God and he will separate the sheep on the one side and the goats on the other side. He's going to say to this, this group over here, welcome, inherit the kingdom. I want to reward you. You guys were great. And I want you to tell me, what is the criteria? What, what is it? Is it because they were right? Like, are certain people going to be punished because they were wrong and certain people rewarded because they were right? Is that the distinguishing factor? You tell me. Look at Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Okay, so we always, when we focus on what's right, what's right, what's right, it's the glory of God and God's glory. And what, so look here, Jesus is saying, when God is glorified, when God is in all his glory, what does the world look like? Verse 34. The king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what we want. That's why we do what we do. That's why we want to be right. Because we want to receive, we want to say, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Now Jesus is going to tell us, what is the criteria? What is the distinguishing factor between those who receive this blessing and those who don't? And I'm sure it's going to be those who voted the right way and those who voted the wrong way. Those who um, who are on this side of, of, of the debate or those who are on this side of the debate. Or those who are this social class or this social class. Or those who spoke this language or spoke this language. Or those who believe this ideology or this ideology. I'm sure that's what it's going to be, right? Next verse, verse 35. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they're just like, what? It, it, it wasn't about what our beliefs were, about our ideology, about how we voted. It wasn't about any of that stuff. He said, no. It was about what you did. It was about how you loved. And even what I like here, okay, he said, when, when I was sick, you visited me and I was in prison. So even notice, usually when people go to prison, it's because they committed a crime or did some kind of mistake. Look what Jesus is saying right here. It's saying, you loved me when I was in prison, meaning I had made a mistake, meaning I was wrong. Okay, I was wrong. And you loved me. To which the people are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Look at the next verse, verse 37. Righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And before we get the answer from Jesus, I want to ask you this question. If I were to say to you, have you ever seen God? Have you ever seen God? When did you see God? What circumstances? And you might say to yourself, you know, when I really felt God was at that retreat that one time. You know what I mean? Like I was really convicted and we prayed or, you know, I heard the sermon or, you know, it was that Good Friday. It was like Good Friday service where, man, I felt like I saw God in that place. And Jesus would say, <clears throat> that's great. Glad that you felt my presence in that retreat or in that service or in that quiet time. That's great. But you know when you saw me most clearly was in none of those. Verse 40. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. It was when you were loving your neighbor 
that you actually saw me. And that's why I'll say this. Jesus would say this if, it, if he was here today. He would say, your love for me is authenticated by how you treat others. It's great that you love me. It's great that you say you believe. It's great that you have the rituals and the worship. It's great. Like all those things are great. I love it. It's great that you spend time with me. It's great you put money in the money box. That's great. But in the end, your love for me is authenticated by how you treat others. Just like in the same way when I said in the beginning, your love for me, Father Anthony, is authenticated by how you treat my children. And there's no sense in trying to please me if you're hurting one of my children. Well, God says the same thing. There's no sense in trying to love God and please God and serve God and worship God if you're mistreating one of his kids. <clears throat> Can you imagine? I want you to imagine with me. Can you imagine what the world would look like if people were skeptical of our beliefs but envious of the way we treated one another? Meaning, people looked at us and said, you know what? Like those guys, they believe weird things and they do weird things and their services are long and their priest dress is funny and like I don't get all the rituals. But man, oh man, I admire the way they treat one another. I'm envious of the way they look at one another and the way they look at people who are not like them. Like man, oh man, I don't get their beliefs, but man, oh man, when I move into a home, I hope my neighbor is one of them. When I have a new job, I pray that my boss is one of those guys. I don't, even, I don't get their beliefs, and I don't want to go to their funny church. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Man, oh man, the way they treat one another. I wish that my daughter or my son, imagine if people said this, I don't know what they believe over there, but I would love it if my son or daughter would marry one of them. Can you imagine can you imagine the world saying that about us, the church, Christians? Can you imagine? Well, I can. You know why I can imagine it? Because it's happened before. And it actually happened in the first century. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he had 12 disciples. And he told those 12 disciples, he said, look here, guys. Things are going to get rough after I go. Things are going to get rough. But you know what? I'm with you guys. And nothing is going to stop you. You're going to take this thing called the church. You're going to go to the ends of the earth with this thing. And it is going to be a movement that is going to change Western civilization, going to change history for good. But the key for you guys, the key for you guys is you must know that the defining characteristic of this movement is your love for one another. And that means love for one another within the group. Okay, even though there's some 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 differences in the group, and there's in that first group, actually we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, about how there were some different political views even within that group. It's your love for one another. Even though you have differences, it's not that you're all gonna agree that's gonna make you powerful. It's your love for one another. And it's gonna be your love for people outside as well. And it's gonna be the way you don't look at people by social class anymore. That was the old way. No more social class. You don't look at people by gender anymore. That's the old stuff. And Christ is no male or female. Is you don't look at people as slaves and masters. Man, that's the old stuff. Is that you see everyone as a child of God, Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter who it may be. All are my children. That I am here, not just for you and people who think like you and people who believe like you, but I'm here for everyone. <clears throat> what would the world look like today if that was us? What would the world look like today? Like the name of this series is What Does Love Require? What if that became the question that all of us stopped and asked that question before we interacted with anyone? So what if black people and white people, if we said to one another, if black people said, 
what does love require of me in, in terms of seeing this white person? And white person said, what does love require of me when I see this black person? What if we said that Democrats and Republicans? Not what do they believe and this guy is wrong and this guy is an idiot and this guy is whatever. What if we said, what does love require of me in this interaction? What if we said that at work? What if we said that in, in, in all of our social interactions with one another, online or in person? Not what do they believe and they're wrong and they're so dumb. What if we said, what does love require of me? What might that do in the world? What might that do in your home? If instead of walking in and saying, what do I want? Saying, what does love require of me right now? What if you did that in your office places? What if you did that everywhere you went? <clears throat> the defining characteristic of the early church, the church that changed the world, the apostolic church of which we in, in the Orthodox Church are so proud that we are apostolic. The defining characteristic is their love for one another, regardless of their differences of opinion. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this, A new commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Did I mention how I feel if you mistreat one of my children? Did I mention that all the singing, all the praising, all the gift giving, all the kissing up on the planet cannot negate and make up for mistreating and disrespecting one of my children. Did I mention that the best way you can honor me and put a smile on my face has actually very little to do with me and a lot more to do with how you treat my children? Well, the same is true for God. The way we honor God, the way we worship God, the way we put a smile on his heavenly face has a lot more to do with how we treat one another than a lot of us may realize. And I don't need a Bible verse for that. I don't need a quote from a church father for that. I don't need a 10-week series on love and what does it mean. I don't need that. Because I see what Jesus said and I see how Jesus lived his life. And I see what he passed along to his disciples, which is exactly that new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. And that means regardless of ethnicity, regardless of how we were raised, regardless of our political views, regardless of how right or wrong we may be, Jesus loved us and Jesus now commands us one command, one commandment to fulfill, which is to love one another as I have loved you. And the way we do that <clears throat> is I challenge you and challenge myself. We leave here today and we begin asking ourselves in every circumstance, what does love require of me? Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your infinite love, your everlasting love for us. And we pray, Lord, that throughout this series that you would help open our hearts to receive that love so that we can then reciprocate it and shine it to all the ends of the earth. Pray, Lord, that you would remove any barriers to love that are inside our heads and inside our hearts, any hate, any kind of division, any kind of bias, Lord, that's inside of us. I pray that this series, truly, Lord, you would knock down walls and that you would help us to, to get one step closer towards your perfect vision for us all, which is to love one another as you have loved us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray, thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this week. I hope to see you back next week and throughout the rest of this series. Have a good weekend, everyone.